Everyone who knows me knows that my dogs are never short on outfits. I buy leashes and collars like some people buy shoes and handbags. And my favorite collar is Iggy's custom-made Paco collar. Paco collars are 100% handmade from scratch by an amazing staff of artists, and the quality really is unparalleled. My dogs can't have collars that don't withstand wear and tear. They hike, they swim, they roll on dead stuff. These collars are guaranteed to last a lifetime, and they're designed to be worn by active dogs like mine. Iggy's collar is perfect for her. It's got purple stones, stars, and a beautiful design. There are literally thousands of design options to choose from, but don't worry. The staff at Paco loves helping customers pick out the best collar for their pets. That's exactly what they did when I went to their booth with Iggy. And they make stuff for humans too, so get over to pacocollars.com and buy the best collar you've ever had, and don't forget to enter promo code COGDOG for free shipping. We've got a puppy. Puppy Elementary is my puppy training subscription service, and it's all about our new puppy, Watson. It's just $45 for six months of Watson's development and education, and you'll have indefinite access to the materials, so sign up anytime. Just go to www.thecognitivecanine.com and click the Puppy Elementary tab at the top of the page to register. Each week, you'll have access to multiple training videos and blogs, as well as constant access to the Puppy Elementary Facebook group, where you can talk about your progress with other students. Watson won't stay little for long, so join now. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. So there's something that comes up in my training all the time. It comes up in my classes. It comes up in my seminars. It comes up in my casual conversations with my friends about training. And it's this subject of what dog trainers, especially in the sport world, are calling impulse control. So what I'm going to call default impulse control training um, essentially teaches dogs not to take advantage of reinforcement. So if they see a treat on the ground, it you know, strong default impulse control training will make them choose first not to eat it as opposed to eat it, which is what we assume is kind of their natural inclination. Um, I have some problems with the way that it's trained. I also have some problems with um, calling it impulse control at all. So let's clear up some of the confusion or at least attempt to clear up some of the confusion. So first of all, it's define impulse. Impulse is defined by a sudden, strong urge or desire to act. So it's simply a strong urge to do something. Um, And so then if we ask the dog to control that urge, um, like the urge to eat the cookie off the ground, then maybe he won't eat the cookie off the ground. And my problem with this is that we don't actually know what the urge is. We can't see the dog's urge. We can only see the dog's behavior. So what we're truly training is um, default lack of eating behavior or default um, basically non-eating or non-going for the toy. We're essentially training what 
a lot of my favorite trainers like to refer to as quote unquote dead dog behaviors, meaning behaviors dead dogs can do because dead dogs don't eat, don't um, grab toys, don't run outdoors. And it's always smarter for us to say what we are training as opposed to what we are training dogs to not do. Um, So if we're ever training a dog to quote unquote not do something, then we have trained them to do something. We just aren't defining what it is we actually train them to do. And in this supposed impulse control, um, what I'm actually seeing is that we are breaking down the operant behaviors of taking reinforcement. So we're actually just effectively punishing eating or toy grabbing or door bolting in certain situations. And again, the results can look great. The results can look like a dog that, um, you know, never takes food out of turn, never grabs a toy out of turn, never bolts outdoors. And the question is always, what could be wrong with that? And there's a few things that are wrong with that. So I'm going to back up though a little bit and say that what we're really talking about here um, is effective stimulus control. So that is defined as In behavioral psychology, it's defined as uh, a phenomenon that occurs when an organism behaves in one way in the presence of a given stimulus and another way in its absence. So the stimulus here would be food, the presence of food, um, or the presence of an open door, or the presence of a toy. That would be the stimulus that um, in its presence, the dog has learned to perform, to act a certain way. And Usually what I see is that the dog has learned to either freeze or be still or frantically throw out behaviors. And it just kind of depends on the person's training, which one is happening there. So remember that eating is a behavior. Running through a door is a behavior. Biting a toy is a behavior. And we can suppress those behaviors through punishment um, anytime we like. And that's what I'm seeing happening in kind of traditional default impulse control training. I'm seeing it as a negative punishment procedure if the dog goes for the thing. So dog tries to eat the food, tries to go through the door, tries to bite the toy because these are the dog's um, most likely, most reinforced behaviors under the current under the current conditions, which would be the presence of uh, those stimuli then those things are removed immediately. So the removal of those things upon the dog going for the things suppresses that behavior of going for the things. So hopefully you're still following me here. The punishment is closing your hand around the food when the dog goes for the food, um, closing the door in the dog's face if the dog starts to go through the door, um, this is this is by definition punishment because it's suppressing the forward motion behavior and understand that there's no devil horns on punishment here. Punishment is just defined as suppression of behavior. It's anytime behavior is being suppressed, punishment exists. Um, I'm not saying it's nasty or awful. So please don't send me an email that's upset that I said you were a bad person. Um, I'm not saying that at all. But punishment does always have fallout. And so I think that if we can train the same behaviors with positive reinforcement instead of negative punishment, I think that we should. So 
one of my favorite examples here is that we can train the dog not to jump on people. So let's say your dog um, goes wild when you come home from work and jumps all over you and maybe you don't like that. Um, so a couple of common solutions within the supposed positive reinforcement dog training world would be you could train no jumping by turning away. So when the when you walk in, the dog jumps on you. So the stimulate the stimulus is you walk in. The behavior is the dog jumps all over you. What you can do is just turn around when the dog does jump on you. Uh, and this is really commonly prescribed by trainers everywhere. And then when the dog stops jumping, you turn back around. So you bring back that thing that the dog is supposedly after. Um, or you could actually just shape a sit. You could actually just teach the dog to do something else. You could teach them to sit. And so in one instance, you're punishing the behavior of jumping. And in the other instance, you're reinforcing the behavior of sitting. Neither of them were mean. Neither of them are nasty. One of them has all the fallout of punishment, which means your dog, you know, may stop choosing to approach at the door at all. Um you know, may have any variety of behaviors, may bite at you because you've turned around, you know, may try all kinds of other behaviors versus just shaping the sit with food would produce the sit with no fallout. So anytime we can teach a behavior with positive reinforcement, we should teach that behavior with positive reinforcement. And pretty much we always can. So I think that stimulus control surrounding reinforcers, which is really what this impulse control idea is, um, can be done better. I think it can be done with positive reinforcement. So what I prefer to do instead is teach my dog cues to take reinforcement. So early, early on, I like to teach my dogs, you know, while I'm training, I've got my food right there readily available the whole time. I don't have it hidden away. It's right in my lap in a bowl. And anytime my puppy, you know, tries to eat the food out of the bowl, I just kind of block them. I just kind of prevent them from doing so. And I just prevent that behavior from being reinforced. And meanwhile, I'm consistently marking and reinforcing in a different way. So anytime my puppy's doing any approximation of the behavior that I'm trying to shape, I'm marking and reinforcing. So I'm handing food. So Maybe I'm teaching my puppy that a click means eat food because that's what a click means. Um, it doesn't actually mean, yeah, you got it right. It actually just means eat food. And the reason that behaviors that are clicked continue is because the click means eat food, not because it means you're right, I approve, etc. Um, more on that later if you guys want. But so I've got the bowl of food in my lap and I can just click, reach into the bowl and hand my puppy food. In the meantime, my puppy might be trying to get in the bowl, might be trying to eat that food, but I just prevent her from being able to do so. And um, meanwhile, I'm just clicking and treating and clicking and treating and very, very quickly, the puppy stops trying to get the food out of the bowl because I'm so consistently giving the puppy food from my hand following the click. Um... In this sense, I'm being a food robot, which is what I always want you to try to be. So let me clarify that because that might be a 
weird um, thing for a person to say, but I say it all the time. If you've ever trained with a manners minder or a pet tutor or a treat and train, any of those what I call food robots, they're food dispensing training tools. You probably know that your dog loves that thing. Most dogs, you get that thing out, they get excited, they get fixated on it, they love that thing. And you know what? They love it because it's so clear. It makes a noise. It spits out food. It's so simple. It's so easy. Most dogs, when they're first presented with the food robot, might try to get the food out of the food robot. But very quickly, they learn that they can't, but that when that beep happens, food will be available to them. And so very quickly, eating in the presence of the robot is put under stimulus control. It only occurs in the presence of the beep. Um, and you can get to the point where you can leave the food robot wide open. The dog could eat out of it, but they still wait for that beep and then eat it out of the tray because you've got excellent stimulus control on eating in that in that uh, condition. And I think we forget that eating is an operant behavior. Um, it's a behavior just like any other, and it should be uh, protected, reinforced, and held up. I know too many drivey crackhead sport dogs who, you know, particularly border collies who don't eat well in a lot, under a lot of circumstances. They see agility equipment, they stop eating. They see sheep, they stop eating. They get close to the water, they stop eating. They're on the hiking trail, they stop eating. If your dog does not eat under certain conditions, then you simply have lost that behavior in those conditions. And just like any other behavior that you may lose in any given circumstance, it requires reinforcement history to build back up. And so, especially because eating can be such a fragile behavior in these super pushy high-drive dogs, um... I would never be using a negative punishment procedure to suppress eating during a training session. That would never be a choice of mine. So what is the fallout of negative punishment in these default impulse control training sessions? Let me tell you, I'm just going to tell you one example, a little story of me training Felix. I was working on a marker discrimination task with Felix. So I was working on, I say, find it, and that means eat a cookie off the floor. And I also will say nice, which means eat a, eat a cookie out of my hand. And so I had a cookie on the floor and I had a cookie presented to him in my hand. And I was just practicing him eating the one that I was asking him to eat. So that's all we were doing. We were doing it in a novel environment. Um, and he went to make a mistake. I said nice and he went to eat the cookie on the floor. And my nearly 20 years of dog training stepped in in that moment. And I went and I covered the cookie on the floor. So it just prevented him from making that error. So I utilize the negative punishment that I advise my clients not to utilize. And I am telling you, I broke the behavior of eating off the floor for two straight weeks. The dog would not eat a cookie off the floor for two weeks after I covered a cookie one time. So one repetition of that punisher... And the behavior was so suppressed that I then had to build the behavior back up systematically. And that's pretty big fallout. And I think a lot of you are going to say, well, my dog's not that soft or my dog's not that sensitive or yada yada. And the truth of the matter is that 
if I'm seeing fallout that's that big and obvious, that you're probably seeing fallout too, it's just not as easy to see, even if you think your dog um, isn't very soft. I don't think that Felix is abnormally soft in any way. I think, you know, I think he's a pretty normal border collie when it comes to that kind of thing. Um, He just doesn't have a strong history of punishment the way that a lot of dogs do, especially surrounding food. And so I think it did hit home bigger to him because he doesn't have, he's not desensitized to it, basically, the way that we usually desensitize puppies to it right away by, you know, putting food in our hand and closing it up anytime they try to get the food. Um, So I do think that affected him in a bigger way than it might um, to a lot of dogs. But man, two weeks of trying to build back up the behavior of eating food off the floor is a bummer. That is so much work. I don't want to do that much work. It's so much easier for me to just let him make that one error and then make sure he's right 10 more times so that I essentially erase the error. Um, so much easier for me to go that route. And then, I, you know, I also see dogs get stuck or confused because their default behavior, because they have their, their desired behavior, which might be eating or grabbing the toy, has been so suppressed through these punishment procedures that if you put food out and you want them to eat it off the floor, they'll get stuck. So maybe you're in a training loop, you're in a shaping session. I see this all the time. We're trying to shape, um, let's say, a stationing behavior. You're trying to shape a dog to get on a platform reliably. And we're throwing our reinforcement um, away from the platform each time. So we click when the dog gets on the platform and throw reinforcement. Um, And then periodically, we might see the dog get stuck. So they get sticky, heading for the food. Their history of punishment when going to eat food off the floor speaks up and makes them stop or slow down or just basically ask the question of, oh wait, am I allowed to eat it this time? And there's several reasons I hate that moment in training. The first one is that I am impatient in general and I like efficient training sessions and I don't like history of punishment, especially to slow down my training sessions. That just serves to annoy me (laughs) very, very much. So I don't like it there. I also don't like it because we can assume, we can infer that if the dog gets sticky like that, then the dog is confused. And that's that's a yucky feeling. And we can also infer that if the dog gets sticky because of a history of punishment, then the dog is actually offering an avoidance behavior. They are avoiding eating the food because they are worried about or they're trying to avoid the punisher that has stepped in beforehand when they have gone for the food. And that's, those are just all yucky feelings that I don't like to involve in my training. So again, I like to train stimulus control instead. Like I mentioned, I was just talking about a marker discrimination task where I was asking Felix to eat off the floor and eat out of my hand. That's how I do it. I teach my dogs to eat out of a bowl on cue, out of my hand on cue, off of the floor on cue. Um, I have all sorts of cues that just mean eat or just mean grab a toy. Um, and I also have cues that mean go out the door come out of the crate, get in the car, those sorts of things. And I've trained them with positive reinforcement because in, you know, Murray Sidman wrote this book, Coercion and its Fallout, and it should be on your shelf if you're a trainer. 
And in that book, he says, um, positive reinforcement works and punishment is dangerous. Um, or coercion is dangerous. And that is 100% true all of the time. Positive reinforcement works. And the other stuff is dangerous. The other stuff has fallout. It introduces yucky emotions. It introduces behaviors that screw you up. So the next time you go to maybe teach your dog not to grab a toy out of your hand or not to eat food out of the floor or not to run through doors, maybe you should think about what you would like them to do and train that with positive reinforcement instead and see how that works for you. And be sure to let me know how it works for you over on the CogDog Radio Facebook page. Thanks for listening to CogDog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to CogDogRadio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the CogDog Radio Facebook page, and until next time, happy training!